1: well it's finally here the national championship game tonight miami gardens florida hard rock stadium and uh, the way we started this a few good men on the big 10 podcast this year i certainly didn't think we'd be talking about a national championship game including ohio state on the night that it's played but through all the fits and starts, uh, Ohio State's where it always wanted to be. Andy Anders, Bruce Hooley with you here on
2: the A Few Good Men on the Big Ten podcast. Absolutely. Whoops. Turn your mic. There you go. There we go. Mike, Microphone off. <laughs> a little bit of technical difficulties to open the podcast. Always a good sign, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um.
1: It's like a we started like Marquise Pouncey
2: and the Steelers last night. Perfect, perfect. Twenty-eight <laughs> nothing uh, in the first quarter. But high State would take that tonight. Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. Could you see something like that happening in this game? Just I don't like, see. Just I think imagine.
1: Both, I think both offenses are too good for one to go into hibernation. The Steelers have been, on, you know, kind of on life support the last few games. Alabama, Ohio State, both look like they are at their peak. Do they not?
2: I'd agree with that, but for all of the hype and all of the just emotion and everything that's going into this game and how fired up both teams are going to be, wouldn't it just be one last laughter from COVID in this era of college football if one team just came out and absolutely smoked the other? Or if it's 17 to
1: 14 or 9 to 7, like the great LSU Alabama dance. Like it's just a
2: defensive battle no one was expecting. (laughs) I don't see it. There's way too
1: much offensive talent on this field tonight Uh, but there's NFL talent all over the place there's NFL talent on Ohio State's defense Alabama's defense and I've said and I don't mean to I'm not trying to overhype it because both teams score uh, at an amazing rate I do think this has the potential to be a USC Texas type national championship game where it's just back and forth and you're like whoa 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 you know it's like who can top each other when it comes to athleticism and
2: just Raw ability, exactly. Um, I see it as a shootout. I mean, I'll I'll spoil. I'll go ahead and get in. My score prediction for this game is Ohio State forty nine, Alabama forty five. Um, you know that's that'd be what 90, 94 points. I think those <laughs> yeah. who took the over in Vegas would be yeah. happy with that result. I I work for a couple different outlets. Uh, one of them I cover Ohio State recruiting for, but I submit a weekly prediction, and that's where that's in. Other people on staff actually predicted a higher score than that. So I'm not alone wow. in thinking this. 52-49, wow. to 49, some of them said, that I work with over there at Rivals. And um, I, I, I don't think it's too <laughs> far-fetched, considering these two defenses, I think, are similar in the fact that they really struggle against the pass. They can stop the run at times. In fact, Ohio State has shut down the run most of the season. Mm-hmm. They're the number two rush defense in the country, and a lot of people don't realize that because of how bad their pass <laughs> defense has been. But... Um, You've got, and then you've got two Heisman caliber quarterbacks. They're going to be slinging it around. Alabama, number 79 out of 127 teams against the past. Ohio State, number 111. So we aren't dealing with uh, NFL secondaries that these two teams sometimes have outside of a couple players on each side.
1: Yeah. And there's so many unknowns. Uh, We're sitting here recording this podcast today on the Chris Landry Football Network at uh, four minutes after 10 right now. Thanks for watching us on Twitch. Hit that follow button, and you'll get a notification every time we broadcast. We're brought to you by America's betting experts. But here we are, uh, ten hours in advance of kickoff, and we don't know if Jalen Waddle's going to play for Alabama, and we don't know <laughs> some <laughs> of who's going to play for Ohio State because there were rumors all last week that the game was going to be moved back, and they had an entire position group testing positive for COVID, and. We know Mayan Williams, their backup running back. I mean, are we? do we know if Master Teague is there, Master Teague? Anybody for Ohio State who tested positive for COVID after Christmas Day is not allowed to play according to Big Ten protocols, if, I believe so. as I understand
2: it. Yes, that would be
1: right. Okay, so we don't know if Master Teague, who was Ohio State's starting running back all year until Trey Sermon burst on the scene against Northwestern and against Clemson. We don't know if Master Teague is there to back up Trey Sermon. We do know Mayan Williams, who people saw at the end of the Clemson game, a uh, freshman a bowling ball a hard-running kid
2: had two great runs in there Yeah, he
1: did uh he's not there we know that from Mayan williams own twitter page as he said he wanted to be in miami and he's not yes but there are all kinds of rumors about uh one particular ohio state defensive lineman and because of the rumors last week andy about a position group it has sort of led to this speculation about other guys on the ohio state defensive line
2: right uh the two main ones for everybody who hasn't I guess, looked at Twitter the past few days, is Tommy Togiai and Tyreek Smith. Ohio State starting one technique, defensive tackle, the good old nose guard position, and then Tyreek Smith on the edge, who I think him and Cooper have been the two best defensive ends for Ohio State mm-hmm. this year. I don't know if I'd put much gap between the two of them either way. Tyreek Smith did an incredible job pass rushing off the edge against Clemson, I thought. The benefit for Ohio State is we know Zach Harrison is there, he dropped a pin on Twitter okay. <laughs> just to say he was on location in Miami, essentially. That was okay. a guy they didn't have for the semifinal game. Tyler Friday could be back as well. We don't know when he tested positive. So you get if you get those two back, it could at least you'd have a solid amount of depth on the at the defensive end position. Right. Uh, I'm not sure either of those two guys are the pass rusher Tyreek Smith <sighs> is yet. And that's important. The depth
1: on the Ohio State defensive line is important because... While we may not necessarily be in accord with it, and in my case, true confession, I haven't watched Alabama as closely and I'm not as familiar with their personnel as I am Ohio State's, but I know Ohio State has a kick-butt offensive line.
2: Oh, 100%. But
1: Bama's offensive line was rated the best in the country. They get their unit, uh, which, which will motivate Ohio State. Nobody plays the disrespect card, I think, better than Ohio State. Um, so the depth on the defensive line, given how good Bama is clearly is on the offensive line, that's important. I remember a couple uh, weeks ago... Tom, uh, not Tom Lemming, uh, Tom Luganville, uh, who is a recruiting guy, also an ESPN guy. They asked him to put together his all 22 for the playoff field. Okay, Bama, Ohio State, Clemson and Notre Dame. He picked three Bama offensive linemen and he said he'd pick four if Landon Dickerson was there. The only Ohio State had Josh Myers and Wyatt Davis. Clemson had no one and uh, Notre Dame had no one. But he picked three Bama guys, Josh Myers and Wyatt Davis, Ohio State center and right guard. He said he would have picked Landon Dickerson over Josh Myers. So that tells me it's a big loss for Landon Dickerson not to be there. And Bama's offensive line is, is pretty good, too. Because, obviously, if he was going to pick more individuals from their line than Ohio State guys, that tells me something.
2: Well, yeah, they've got Leatherwood at left tackle. Here's the thing, though. I... I I honestly believe that Ohio State has the better offensive line without Landon Dickerson in. Um, I, you look player to player at the two tackles, not because of how well Thayer Munford's done at the left tackle. Mm-hmm. People, you go back and you watch those games. Nicholas Petit for the right tackle spot is physically dominating people. I mean, imposing his will at the right tackle position. Um, they Ohio State has two rock-solid tackles this year. And, you know, with the Myers-Davis combination, Wyatt Davis is probably the best guard in all of college football this season. And then Josh Myers, if not for Landon Dickerson, is probably the best center.
1: Yeah, Wyatt Davis is on every All-American team. Every, every one. one. Every unanimous all first
2: team All-American.
1: Yep. Um,
0: so, as is Leatherwood. You as know, is I mean, Leatherwood. Yeah.
2: But thayer Munford probably the best tackle in the Big Ten. And Petit Fair might be the two best tackles in the Big Ten this year. Um, other than maybe you've got... There's a few other a kid from
1: Nor- well. There's a kid from Northwestern who opted out. Can't give him the best
2: tackle in a Big Ten if he's right. not playing. Sorry. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, so really, this Ohio State line is so solid, and you know what speaks even more to how good this offensive line is, is the fact that Paris Johnson doesn't play. Because, I mean, I know he's a freshman, but you saw what he, did you see what he did when he came into that yeah, game? Yeah, Paris Johnson's
1: legit. He's a big-time player. Yeah,
2: Paris Johnson, for those who don't know, five-star recruit out of Ohio last year. He's a freshman tackle on Ohio State's team. They were playing their backup guard against Clemson because Harry Miller was out with COVID, and I think he'll be out again this week. That isn't confirmed yet. We'll see. We'll see if he's back in time. But, uh... So they started his backup, Matt Jones, at left guard, who had a whale of a game he as did. well, by the way, until he, he got injured. So then they go to the next guard, which is five-star tackle Paris Johnson. So Paris Johnson's playing his first big game reps as the at a position he's unfamiliar with. He's a, he's a tackle, not a guard, and he comes in and he washes a Clemson linebacker seven yards up the field and puts him on his back. Yep. Um, then he flips to the other guard position. And he he just had a. This guy can come in and dominate at both guard positions as a tackle, and he's not starting on this team. I I think that just tells you how good Nicholas Petit Frere and Thayer Munford have done this year. I think Ohio State has a fairly. might have the best offensive line in college football without Leah Dickerson in the game.
1: Yeah, I mean, they're. Look, they're in the title game, so they're good everywhere. Ohio State is not as good in the secondary as it was before. Still really good. they got a lot of guys that a lot of teams would love to have. Bama is not as good defensively as it's been in the past. It's still really good. Bama has played some, I think, talent more comparable to itself than Ohio State has. I mean, when you play Georgia, when you play Texas A&M, I think uh, they were behind at halftime against Georgia. Uh, Ohio State has not, I don't think, been behind at halftime, have they? (sighs) Yeah. They ne- I, I don't think there's ever been a time well, where Ohio State's a- been threatened. They were way up on Clemson.
2: Oh, I was just trying to think Northwestern. They, might have, they were
1: down against Northwestern. Yeah. But it was like, okay, how long is it going to take us before we mow these guys down? Exactly, yeah. Um, because you got the feeling Northwestern wasn't going to score a whole lot more, and they weren't going to win that game 10-7. to 7. <laughs> So uh, I just – look, this game is like what college football is in 2020. It's – we're talking, Andy. You were talking about your predictions, fifty-two, forty-nine, and whatever the other people's, you know, other predictions are fifty-two, forty-nine. Yours are a little bit under that, but not much. Not much. Mine's not going to be much under that. And it feels like all of college football now is the Big Twelve. And <laughs> yeah, back so then, true. back then, no offense, uh, in defense of the Big Twelve, our friends who follow us at eleven o'clock, but. I don't think it's because of the same reason why we used to mock the Big 12. We used to mock the Big 12 because they played no defense. That's why our friends have the title for their podcast, In Defense of the Big 12. Now it's just because everybody plays really great offense. Yes. I mean, when you're talking about Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, Justin Fields, Trey Sermon, Devonta Smith, Jalen Waddle, Najee Harris, Mac Jones, I mean— Both teams are just loaded with guys that you're going to see a lot of them play for the last time in college tonight, but you're not going to see them for
2: the last time because they're going to be playing for a long, long time. Yeah, legitimate NFL talent, um, both sides of the ball. And just the way the passing games have developed and evolved in college football too, I think what Ryan Day has done is blend a lot of urban spread schemes with NFL pass route combinations, and it's really opened up the way Ohio State can throw the ball um, very inventive offensive minds, and Steve Sarkeesian, obviously a tremendous offensive coordinator in his own right. Um, I, I'm excited to see the schematic battles of this game too, because these are both coordinators, and I know Kevin Wilson's Ohio State's offensive coordinator technically, but Ryan Day calls the plays. Correct. These are both guys that can really put their know how to put their players in the best position <coughs> to get into space to make big plays. Uh, they know how to scheme guys open and get the matchups that they're searching for um, in this game. And I'll, one one thing I'll be interested to see, though, is that the top receiver in the top corner on both teams, Um, how much they match they're up. Both
1: They're all first-rounders, okay? Olave's a first-rounder, Devonta Smith's a first-rounder, Patrick Sertan's a first-rounder, and Sean Wade's a first-rounder. Right. But how do Ryan Day and Steve Sarkeesian move Devonta Smith and Chris Olave around to keep them away from the top corner on the other team. And uh, in Ohio State's case, I don't think it's as pressing a matter because Garrett Wilson is
2: really good. I, tell you I what, mean, he's super good. That kid's going to be a first rounder next year. 100%. And hey, Smith Jigba, the tight ends showed they can ball last game. You've got uh, shoot, Jamison Williams had a big catch against Clemson. I would actually look for a different receiver besides Olave to open up the passing offense for Ohio State and then get Olave involved a little later. I think that's what might be the game claim because really, Tam is the one player in Alabama's secondary you actually have some sort of threat from, some sort of fear of. He was unanimous first-team All-American corner.
1: His dad was a long time NFL player, right? He's been raised to be a cornerback from the time he could walk,
2: pretty much exactly. And um, the rest, obviously, like we said, Alabama number seventy nine against the pass. You know, the rest of the secondary ain't pulling a lot of their weight, so I would be looking to other options to open up the game, and then maybe soften it for Olave later. Um,
1: we uh, want to thank you for watching us on Twitch, and we want to remind you our official sponsor is America's betting experts. Uh, you'll find a special offer from American Betting Experts at LandryFootball.com, where you'll also find all the podcasts about all the different types of football that fascinate you, whether it's recruiting, scouting, NFL, playoffs, in full bore after Super Wild Card Weekend, headed toward the divisional round this weekend, college football. You want it, you got it on LandryFootball.com. And look for that American Betting Experts logo. Click on it, you get a special offer. Matching bet $100 up to $1,000, and there's no better time to do that, if you don't use the money for your light bill for on tonight's national championship game. You a hit on it, Andy. It's intriguing, this game, because not only is it Ohio State and Alabama, uh, not only because it's one and three, uh, two quarterbacks who have been Heisman Trophy finalists, uh, a Heisman Trophy winner in Devontae Smith, but it's Ryan Day's specialty is offense, and Nick Saban's specialty is defense. Mm-hmm. And Nick Saban is... I don't know who else is with him, but he's the first face you carve on the Mount Rushmore of college football coaches with six national championships. Yeah. And I know Woody, Bear, Paterno, blah, When you win them in the playoff era and when you win them in the BCS era where you have to beat the in the BCS era a judged best other team besides yourself and in the playoff where it's a tournament, I know Bear's great. I know Woody's great. Oh, by the way, this will be the time. Look at this. <laughs> look at this. Look at this. I have this. I don't know where I ever – I think I got this at a flea market. Okay. Really? Years ago. I thought, hey, that's kind of cool. Uh, January 2nd, 1978, the first meeting of Ohio State and Alabama. At that time, it said 55 years of coaching, 503 victories, Bear Bryant and Woody Hayes, Sugar Bowl coaching legends. Oh, that didn't go so well for Ohio State. That was on like 35-6. to six.
2: Yeah, no. Be, but, um, that was in Woody's twilight. Yeah, Woody
1: was punching the goalpost thing at halftime as he was walking in. But the point is, Woody's great, Bear's great, Paterno's great, all that. When you win it in the poll era, like there are times Bear played a team for the national title that probably was not even a top-five team. Woody probably wanted in a couple eras where you know you're probably going to run into USC in the Rose Bowl but you're not going to run into Alabama you're going to run into Notre Dame not. you're not going to run into Texas nope. in the in the BCS era and the playoff era you can't hide you can't hide so that's why i say Saban and Urban to me are at the top and that prompts me to ask you an interesting question i think it's interesting I'm not trying to take anything away from Ryan Day, but I don't think we can divorce Urban Meyer's impact totally from this game because he recruited
2: most of this team. He Okay, yeah. Um so Urban's going to if you're talking about the impact on this game, this team specifically, <clears throat> yep. then yes, obviously there's plenty of Urban's recruits on this. I mean, only one of Ryan Day's complete recruiting classes is on this team. I mean, he finished 2019, but Really, the 2020 class was yeah. his first class. Those guys are all freshmen. Not many are making an impact. They're just depth pieces. I mean, Paris Johnson's played, Jackson Smith Jigbus played, but none of those guys are the big names of this class. I will say, however, Ryan Day was the main catalyst to get Justin Fields. That's
1: what I was going to say. Was Justin Fields is a Ryan Day guy because Urban, I love you, but I hated the idea that you'd willingly subject your quarterback to 200 hits a year. In his offense. Yeah. I just, I just can't get peace with that. And we saw it happen. You know, they won a national title with JT Barrett out, Braxton Miller out. Now, Braxton Miller was not hurt because he was running the ball, but JT Barrett was in 2014. But to me, Justin Fields is a Ryan Day guy, but almost everybody else is an urban guy. Yeah. And so years ago, Buster only wrote a book about, it's called the last night of the Yankee dynasty, where the Yankees lost to the Diamondbacks in that great game seven. And that was kind of the end of that particular Yankee run. I don't mean it like it's going to go bad for Ohio State tonight. I just mean it like it's a it's a demar- line of demarcation tonight. This is, to me, the last night of the Urban Meyer dynasty at Ohio State. And I give Ryan credit for everything they got last year. I don't think he babysat that team. I think that team was a better team with him coaching it than it would have been with Urban coaching it. Agree. Because Ryan just has a a relational style. I'm being very precise in my language here. Hear what I'm saying. Ryan has a relational style that that particular team responded to in a way that I, my opinion is it would not have responded as well to Urban's relational style.
2: I think, well, even the bigger thing I think Ryan Day did was – Frankly, Urban's assistant hires at the end of his Ohio State tenure, lackluster. To, to phrase it nicely, uh, he got the right guys in there. Jeff Hafley, right defensive coordinator for that team. Ryan Day Al you're Washington. talking about. Ryan Day, Yes, yeah. he made that hire. Ryan Day hired Al Washington, tremendous linebacker coach for this team. I mean, you look at the—it is night and day, and it happened in one year. Night and day, the difference between what we saw with Bill Davis— urban's best man who wasn't necessarily the best man
1: he was the best man at his wedding
2: not on his football staff yes um <laughs> <laughs> and then al washington comes in and these line these names that like looked just we talked about it before the podcast we didn't think pete warner was such a surprise <laughs> last year yeah to see just how much he could take a jump and that's I mean, during twenty eighteen, I think we all sat back and said, like, oh, these linebackers are a problem. Bill Davis isn't exactly developing people here. And then Pete Warner starts bawling out last year and you're like, Oh, he was really bad. Yeah, yeah. Davis. Um,
1: yeah. 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 I mean, they just Ryan's got Ryan's gotten the most out of these guys. Now the challenge, and I've said this for a long time, the challenge for Ryan will be once everybody filters out of the program who knew. Urban's more uh, what's the word I'm looking for on Urban? It's more challenging. Urban's Urban's thing was every day was like an exercise in survival. Like, what have you done for me today? Prove your prove yourself today. And I don't mean that Ryan's different uh, in terms of that. Ryan challenges him. He just has a way of doing it that the players who still remember how Urban did it just want to run through a wall for Ryan Day. They do. They might have run they wanted to run through a wall for Urban Meyer. I think they were afraid not to run through the wall for Urban. With Ryan, they're like, "No, I want to run through the wall cuz I like that guy." So the challenge for Ryan will be once that recollection of how hard life could be under Urban filters out of the program, then you you can't count on the old guys anymore to say, "Hey man, you think this is bad? You don't know how, you know?" And Saban, I'm not saying that's not successful. I think Urban, I said Urban and Saban, first two paces I carve on Mount Rushmore. It's just the leadership style is a little bit different.
2: It is. Um, I don't. I'm not concerned about what will happen when that leadership when that group leaves from Urban's tenure. And I know a lot of people are saying, like a lot of Ryan Day's detractors that aren't Ohio State people. I've seen on social media are like, oh, he's doing it with Urban's guys. This should be Urban's team and. Well, first off, if if Urban's quarterbacks were still here, if it were Tate Martell, I don't think this team's in the positions in it's in. Um, but barring that, I think Ryan Day has actually recruited, and I, I I still can't believe I'm saying this. He's recruited better than Urban. He's got an, because because in part Urban, not that Urban Urban set it up for him. I mean, but, Urban but did Ryan, set up some of those yeah. p- connections. But look, this is. The 2022 class is what I'm looking at right now, right? Mm -hmm. Because the 2020 class, Urban had those relationships. He started those relationships. The current freshman, yeah, Ryan was over control of the program a whole year. He got a majority of the commitments, landed during his time as head coach. But (coughs) Urban really started a lot of those relationships. 2021, the class they're signing now. Every 2022, it's all Ryan Day. That's the... He, none of those recruits, I would doubt hardly any of them, were contacted when Urban was the coach. And Ohio State's 2022 class, for those of you who haven't followed recruiting, might is shaping up like it could be one of the greatest classes, regardless of team, in the history of recruiting. They've already landed the number one prospect in the country, Quinn Ewers, five-star receiver, um, well, like Caleb Burton. They've got another five-star. So they're... These incredible recruiting halls. Ryan Day is at number one or number two. The three classes that he has been 2020, 2021, 2022. So you look at the recruiting and guys are clearly buying in. He's made incredible assistant hires, which that's a great way to set up long-term success with the program. And people are buying into the family atmosphere he's setting up at Ohio State. People are buying into his culture. And if you get the players to buy in, you make good assistant hires, and you recruit well, you're going to have success at college football. (laughs) On top of all that... He is one of the greatest offensive minds I've seen in college football. I've only been alive a short time, but
1: he's really good. He's is, really good.
2: I mean, just incredible offense. Here's
1: coach. what I would say about Ryan Day, and um, when I first got exposed to him, and I've I've been exposed to Ohio State coaches going back to 1987, back to Earl Bruce, covering them. <clears throat> if Ryan Day weren't a head football coach. He'd be the CEO of a million do- of his own million dollar, multi million dollar corporation. He's a leader. He's a leader. He's got a vision. He's got. He knows how to lead people. Jeff Halfley, same thing. His defensive coordinator. I would say that. Yeah, never have I been more impressed with an Ohio State assistant coach than Jeff Halfley.
2: Yes, he was tremendous. Yeah.
1: So, and I think Urban would be successful at whatever he does too. It's just that there's a different leadership style between the two, and um, both are extremely successful. It'll be interesting tonight to see the old guard, Sabin, who does it like Urban, against the new guy, Ryan Day. Offense from Ryan Day, defense from Nick Saban. So it'll be very interesting to watch that. Uh, okay, so we got, speaking of Urban, we got two coaching matters to handle, and then we'll restate our predictions as we get out of here on the a few good men of the big 10 podcast brought to you by american betting experts you'll find it on LandryFootball.com where you'll find all your podcasts that pertain to football scout breakdowns of what happened to super wild card weekend recruiting breakdowns analysis we got you covered at landry football like no one else okay we still don't know about urban and the jacksonville jaguars uh,
2: not 100
1: i think that i think the battle is internal with him Is like do i really want to do this do you, let's just say he does it, okay, because we've speculated and talked about that from all different angles. If he does it, do you fear a exodus of people on Ryan Day's staff, and I'm going to include the larger staff. I'm going to include Mickey Marotti, strength coach, Mark Pantoni, the director of player personnel, guys who've been with Urban at, some of them at Bowling Green, but all of them at Utah, Florida, and Ohio State. Do you expect those guys to go with Urban, or do you expect those guys to stay here?
2: Well, if Urban asks him to go, I don't know how you say no to Urban. Um, if you've been with him since Utah. <laughs> because
1: everything you have in the profession,
2: you have because Urban gave you a shot. Pretty much. Pretty much. I think the um, the the whole the r- main rumor is that Urban would try to get Pantone placed his GM Recruiting, uh, at least I've seen that. Maybe that's not. An well, Pantone's work. his GM was a GM of his football program. Kind of. I mean, director I mean, he's of player, player personnel guy. Player personnel guy. I mean, yeah, you're you're scouting guys. You're finding the talent for the program. But at the same time, it an NFL GM just seems like an entirely different role. To well, me. It's a way
1: different role. You don't have to worry about the salary cap in hunting college.
2: Yes, exactly. In, the, in draft the NFL is you do completely different from recruiting the way that you do it. I I would. Hope that that's not the higher that the Jags make, but
1: um, I don't think they'd make it as GM. But I think they could a lot of teams have a pro personnel guy
2: and a college true. personnel this guy. This is true, this and is so true. there's
1: a spot for Pantoni there. And obviously, with Mickey Murati's strength coach, oh, yeah, a strength spot for him. is every level. Yeah. Brian Voltolini, he would go with Urban, I believe. He's Urban's kind of you know right hand man. Anything Urban, anything Urban needs done that Urban's time could be better spent on something else, that's what Brian Voltolini handles for him, right?
2: Um. The whole <clears> notion that he would strip the program bare of its assistance, though, I would hope he has more. People would really Well, say, he'd take Corey
1: Dennis. Uh, Corey Dennis, his, yeah. his son-in-law, who's Ohio State's quote-unquote quarterback
2: coach. Some people have talked about whether he could poach Brian Hartline. and I, that's, what I, that's where yeah, I'm getting at with That was the one this. I wondered about, too. That's where I'm getting at with this. If he takes Brian Hartline, people might start to look at him different for Ohio State. Like I'm talking about, fans would be angry with him. Hartline's a super recruiter. Hartline is the best receivers coach in the country. Former
1: NFL player, longtime NFL player. I covered Brian as a player, and I remember when he left after his junior year. People said, "Oh, this guy's crazy. He's never going to make it in the NFL." I'm like, "No, no, he'll play a long time in the NFL." He did. And he did, and he just knows the game. And I mean, when Ohio- here's here's how fast life comes at Brian Hartline. When Ohio State played. Clemson the 31 nothing year I was doing my radio show in Phoenix for that game and my on-air partner was Brian Hartline. (laughs) Brian Hartline was recently retired from the NFL and wanted to know can I do sports radio because you know Ohio State ex-Ohio State players you can't swing a dead cat without hitting one in media they're all over the place TV radio everywhere and they're all pretty good And Brian was spectacular. He was spectacular in radio. Mm -hmm. Because at that particular time, a story had come up with Terrell Pryor with the Cleveland Browns. And Brian played college football with Terrell Pryor. And he had, Brian had no fear. And he let it fly on Terrell Pryor. And then he dealt with the fallout of that. And he didn't like being at odds with Ohio State Nation. And he got an opportunity to I think he got an opportunity to go the next year and like play against Ohio State guys in practice. Remember that weird time where like Taj Boyd could come back to Clemson and could yes. simulate, you know, players in practice and you could bring in like ex-players uh-huh. to run to be on your scout team. So Brian started kind of doing that and he got around the program and they were like eh. and then the whole Zach Smith stuff happened.
2: Right. Well, didn't they? When Zach Smith happened, he was he was on staff in some regard. He had, he had moved
1: up to be like quality a control. Quality control, yeah. grad. Because we can't let control, control get out of hand. We got to control it. We got to control the quality. Quality. We control can't let that quality. run rampant anywhere. We got to have a control. <laughs> we got to control quality. <laughs> that that name for a coach always kills me. Uh, quality control. Why are we controlling just it? Let an assistant. to the assistant. Let it run rampant. Quality. We'll take it anywhere we can get it. So, anyway, Heartline stepped in for Zach Smith, and the rest is history. I mean, right. He's just done a phenomenal job. Oh, and he's underpaid, God. and he makes good money, but he's vastly underpaid. I mean,
2: I'm sure when it's time, he'll get a pay raise.
1: He got a big pay raise the last time. He's still way
2: underpaid. Oh, yeah. You, I'm not sure you could pay him enough.
1: Like, I think they doubled his salary to like 600 and some thousand, and I'm like, that dude on, that st- on any staff should be making a million and a half, two million. I mean,
2: Chris Olave is pretty... Actually, we talked about Justin Fields being a Ryan Day guy earlier. Chris Olave is essentially a Ryan Day guy, too, because Ryan Day is the one... Chris Olave was a super underrated recruit, yep. and uh, Ryan Day is the one who saw him play out in California scouting a different one of his teammates, and saw him um, running around and wanted to talk to him, and then eventually, like, it was a very late recruiting get for Ohio State to bring in Olave. They went to Olave. look at a quarterback. They went to look at a yeah, quarterback, that's what saying. and, and, and they, they were like, found Olave. Yeah, it was wild. So that that's also... but. What I was going to say about him is that the way you can take a guy who is so undervalued on the recruiting trail, I think those kind of diamond in the rough developments always speak to a great assistant mm-hmm. when it comes to development for me. Um, Chris has become one of the best receivers in college football, and Brian Hartline's been his coach uh, all three years. <coughs> He's been here, yeah.
1: Okay, we've talked about great coaches. Saban, Urban, Day, Bear, Paterno. Let's talk about one that we go, Huh? Jim Harbaugh oh, yeah, signed those. a five-year contract extension at Michigan with Matt Campbell sitting out there in Ames, Iowa. <laughs> former Mount Union guy, former Toledo guy, who's won a New Year's Six game with Iowa State. <laughs> Matt Campbell, who would crawl over broken glass to have the Michigan job. And they want to sign Harbaugh for four, five more years. Five more years. I know they cut his pay in half. Matt Campbell would take $4 million. That's more than he's <laughs> making at Iowa State.
2: Michigan, what are you doing? They're settling for oh. what, what the last six years has been under hardball, you know? Uh, you know
1: what this reminds me of? This reminds me of people who say, well, they can't, they're, they're in a marriage and they can't stand their spouse, but their kids are like five years old and they decide to stay together for the kids. You're not doing what's best for the kids. Well, I'm not advocating divorce. It's maybe a bad example, but the point is, they re-signed Harbaugh because they can't bring themselves to break up.
2: They can't. I oh. I wonder here's what I wonder, Bruce. I, I wonder <coughs> what the NFL situation was with him and whether I mean you'll never know these kinds of things that go on behind the scenes, but maybe Harbaugh felt it out. And thought he couldn't get an NFL job he liked. I think that's exactly what happened. Yeah, and they it was a situation where he... Michigan never... They just can't drop the shoe on their guy. Oh. They can't drop the shoe on their guy. That's their guy. He guaranteed a win and, and delivered in the Ohio State game. And ever since then, he's Michigan's golden boy. And even if it's best for the program, he's a Michigan man with a Michigan background, and they just cannot bring themselves to fire him. They can't be the ones to fire him. Or he just has tell to him, leave.
1: Jim, it's not working. It's not working. We can't lose to Ohio State five straight times, and we can't get plastered the last two times, and it would have been three if they'd have played this year. Oh, yeah. It would have made the close. other two games look close. And it's just like he's not getting it done in recruiting. And I know you like him, and he's – I get that. But by the same token, it's not a one-way street. He's got to be – he has taken Michigan – To a position in the division they're in, to where they're what, the fourth best team? (laughs) Right now, Indiana's better, Ohio State's better, Penn State's better. And Michigan State beat them, by the way. A dreadful Michigan State team beat them. Was that game? That game was in Ann Arbor. Uh huh. I know there were no fans, but still, it's in Ann Arbor. Yeah. I'm just like, this is astounding to me with Matt Campbell sitting there who, when you watch Matt Campbell in the locker room, which you get the little Twitter videos appearing, I'm like, holy smokes, that guy's got it. He's got it. And so much of being successful in hiring a coach is hiring a guy who fits you. Matt Campbell fits Michigan.
2: He does. And I think he'd be the offensive breath of Russia they need as well. He gets big great offensive physical mind. guys. Look at how great Iowa State mind. plays. Oh, what it, are you doing, Michigan? One of the biggest complaints about Harbaugh is that he has failed to adjust to the new era of college football, and that he still wants to run the Bo Schimbeckler style schemes from back when he played. And um, Matt Campbell wouldn't do that. Matt Campbell's very much a new age offensive mind, but physical and physical. Yes, oh, absolutely, boy. absolutely. His teams go run through a brick wall. And player development. He gets two and three
1: star. They get a three star at Iowa State. They're turning cartwheels. And he develops those guys into like big time players. Wow. I'm just astounded. I, I should have played the Colonel. That's my you can't handle the truth. <laughs> so I don't know. Do you want me to play the Colonel for you today? Do you uh, have one or not?
2: Let's let's see here. Maybe I might have one on the on the docky. All right.
1: You can't handle the truth. There we go. What uh, do you got for us, Andy?
2: Well I think um I, I I hit on it earlier. I really think that this Ohio State offensive line is actually going to be, and this might be the difference in the game, I don't know, because I think this game might come down to who makes three stops in total. But I think Ohio State's offensive line is has a more significant advantage than people are giving it. And some people think like it's a... Zero sum game between Ohio State's offense like it's a wash between Ohio State's offensive line and Alabama's defensive line. You you look up and down that roster; they're they're starting, they're starting underclassmen on that Alabama defensive line. Um, and you talk about like I know DJ Dale is three hundred pounds, but he's he's not an All American. He's not Wyatt Davis and Josh Myers on the inside. Christian Barmore's a solid guy, um, seven sacks, first team All SEC. But I I think. Thayer Munford, when you're talking about a senior who's proven at the tackle position, you're talking about Nicholas petit Frere. I actually expect Ohio State to have a big advantage up front in this game. And I don't think it's been discussed enough that the guys outside of Josh Myers and Wyatt Davis, again, I hit on it earlier, have been phenomenal this year. Two good players is not a good offensive line make. And honestly, they didn't play enough games to earn this but if they this had been a full season this might go down as this might have gone down as the best offensive line in Ohio State history a, a program that has an, a very 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 long and rich history of tremendous offensive linemen and offensive lines i mean even recently last year's offensive line they they lost Jonah Jackson and they replaced him with Harry Miller who had his struggles early got much better later but then his backups in the semifinal game played tremendously, Matt Jones. I, I honestly think the offensive line, there's going to be an offensive line advantage in this game, so much so that if a lot of other things aren't working for Ohio State, they're going to be able to stay in the game because they're going to be able to move the ball. Football is still one in the trenches, and I think the O-line, D-line advantage for Ohio State's going to allow them to move the ball against Alabama, regardless of maybe one or two guys are off tonight, which I don't expect, but... Um, yeah, you're going to be able to move the ball with that offensive line. And I would have said they have a big advantage on defense, too. If uh, Not big advantage. I would have said that the defensive line was... I would have called this game a lot more conviction if it weren't for the doubts about Togi I and Smith because then Ohio State would have almost an equitable D-line at the very least. Um, All right. So your them. score so. is? 49-45, Ohio State.
1: 49-45. You give any... Uh, any uh, unfolding how that how we get to that is it close to the bitter end is it a lado by the way score is it
2: I think it's close I, I think it'll be a teetering on a one-two score game throughout the first three quarters I think Ohio State will go up 49-38 in the fourth and then Alabama gets a late response. It'll be a situation where it doesn't come down to the final drive, but kind of the drive before the final drive kind of a thing. All right,
1: Uh, My final, I will take Ohio State 45-35. And I concur with your assessment of the line play. I think that will decide the game. I think Ohio State will have the better of it, although not to the degree that they had it against Clemson. And I think Ohio State will take charge of the game, either in the second quarter or third quarter although not to the degree that they did with their blitzkrieg against Clemson 21 nothing in the second quarter. Mm-hmm. I just think that um, I've watched Bama a lot. I've watched Ohio State a lot. Justin Fields under pressure can do things that Mac Jones cannot do under pressure. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, is, is the decisive factor in this football game. I think Nanji Harris is tremendous. And if Nanji Harris has a night, that's going to be a problem for Ohio State. Nanji Harris is the guy that, I mean, this kid, he was on my Heisman ballot. I had uh, Smith 1, Lawrence 2, and Nanji Harris 3. I didn't have Mac Jones on my ballot. And I certainly didn't have Kyle Trask on my ballot. But I just think Nanji Harris is the guy that is a great player nobody's talking about. Yes. this, this is true. Like, he gets
2: lost in the Alabama passing I'm like, game. like, what? This kid is tremendous. And I'll say, too, hey, Ohio State backs out of the backfield. If for some reason Ohio State's really preventing big stuff down the field with Devontae Smith, and if Jalen Waddles back and Mechie for Alabama, uh, he's a guy who can hurt you out of the backfield too, in the same way that Travis Etienne, not to the same, and that Travis Etienne could, but Clemson hurt Ohio State a little bit earlier in that game before they adjusted with passes out of the backfield. That could be something they look to. It's hard
1: for me to pick against Bama because I think they're just, I think they're great, but. I've done this a long time, and stuff that makes no sense and should have no impact just has a way of happening. Mm. And I said in the Clemson game, it just felt to me like that was going to be Chris Olave's redemption. And really, I didn't see the Justin Fields versus Trevor Lawrence thing, but it was that too. And I know that the NFL has nothing to do with college. But the Cleveland Browns won a game last night handily, against the Steelers, that they really had no business winning without their coach, without being able to practice with guys in and out Second of the lineup. Team, secondary. Yeah, I mean, just crazy that they won that game. And I thought, as I watched that game last night, I thought, you know what, I'm going to be sitting here tomorrow night, and there's going to be a storyline that Ohio has figured out a way to deal with COVID in football that nobody else has figured out because of the Browns winning and because of Ohio State winning. So that's why I'm taking Ohio State, and that's why I'm taking them 45-35, because... I didn't expect them to take control of the Clemson game to the degree that they did as early as they did. I didn't expect the Browns to take control of that game last night as early as they did. But I'm not going to ignore those two things. And you can say they have nothing to do with it, and you might be right, but I just got a vibe that that's going to be the long-view story of what we're seeing here in the NFL and in college. And the Browns are not going to win a Super Bowl, but the Buckeyes tonight, if they win, they get a title for Ryan Day. Yeah, And they elevate themselves, I think, before, if they don't win the title tonight, you can't make the argument that they're quite where Clemson and Alabama are because each Clemson and Alabama will have two titles in the playoff era. But I think after tonight, we're going to be sitting here in the playoff era with Bama, Clemson, and Ohio State each having two titles. I
2: I think that too. I uh, I would hope to see it, but I think it'll be a great game either way. Um, the only thing we haven't touched on really is Justin Fields' health. Yeah. Um, do you think? Do you expect him to be at hundred percent for this game? I do. But I don't
1: know how long, because if they get a hit on him, I do think his injury is the kind that you can pad up and mitigate with, uh, you know, uh, Torrey at or whatever else. But I think if he takes a big hit, then all bets are off. Yeah. Uh, so that might keep them from running him. But Justin Fields has shown himself to be an amazing competitor, the way he bounced back after a... a Injury at Michigan to throw a touchdown pass on the next play. The way he bounced back from that Skalski hit to have a big uh, second quarter and second half against Clemson. Uh, I don't. I don't foresee Justin Fields being sent to the sidelines and Ohio State having to go with a backup quarterback. Which i would be interesting. Like if either team, <laughs> if both teams had to play a backup quarterback, who's in better shape?
2: That is an interesting I
1: Bryce. Like what's the kid? I see him number nine. Uh, Who's the number one player in the country? You know, two years ago, he's really good. He yes. can run it. He's Justin. Feels like uh, the other thing I wanted to mention is it wouldn't shock me if this game came down to a field goal. It wouldn't either. And Will Reichert of Alabama is thirteen thirteen. And I don't want to put the Malloik on him, but he was he solved what has always been a bugaboo for Nick Saban. And until Nick Saban got Tua and Jalen Hurts, the oddity of the Saban era was. They were dominating people with really average quarterbacks, AJ McCarron. Who's the other guy? I can't even remember some of the other quarterbacks. And uh, Blake, Greg McElroy, Blake Sims. Well, oh, Blake Sims was yeah, he wasn't even up to their level. Yeah. But at any rate, but bad like average quarterbacks and really super average kickers, which told you how dominant they were everywhere else. Mm-hmm. Because you would think, well, you got to have a quarterback and you got to have a kicker to win those close games. Well, he's solved the quarterback thing with Tua and Hurts, but Hurts really became a true quarterback at Oklahoma under Lincoln Riley. But he's definitely solved the kicker thing with Will Reichert. He was the number one kicker in the country. He's 13 of 13. He's made one over 50 yards. He has not missed a kick all year. And whenever I hear that, I always think, oh, that poor kid, if he's put in a position where he misses one kick all year and it's for the title. what's go through your level of peace or lack of peace with Ohio State's kicking game.
2: Is Hobbyal in or not? <laughs> yeah, I, we don't know. We don't know. Um <clears throat> if it's not injured. hobbyal, then I'm not at peace with it at all. If it is hobbyal And he's healthy. And he's healthy. If he's a hundred percent, honestly, yeah, I'm confident in it. I think that's a guy kickers are head cases, so it's hard to pre- predict uh motivation for a kicker. You know, it's hard to say like guys have a mental edge in kicking. Hobbyal is talented and we've seen it in the past. He made that 55 yarder against Northwestern mm-hmm. at the end of the half last year. He before he got injured, uh pulled his <coughs> groin kicking a chip shot. You know, he was autumn he seemed automatic this year before yep. before he got hurt. Um I think if he's back healthy, I am confident in the Ohio State kicking game.
1: All right. So to review, Andy takes Ohio State forty nine to forty five. I take Ohio State 45 no, – no, you take them 49-45. Yes. I take them 45-35, and, um, and then we'll see after that if Ryan Day's got to find a bunch of assistant coaches because Urban's taking them away or <laughs> where we are. But uh, it's going to be. A, I, I think it's going to be a great game, and I'm looking forward to yeah. it. And I'm glad Ohio State obviously got to play this year. And the only downside of Ohio State winning – is the victory lap that Kevin Warren will take for doing everything right.
2: We don't have to talk about that.
1: It might cement him as Big Ten Commissioner forever, which into each life a little rain must fall. (laughs) (laughs) So everyone have a great day. Enjoy the game tonight. And, um, hey, we'll see what we'll see. Celebrate the spectacle. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, guys. Our friends in the Big 12 are next. In defense of the Big 12, top of the hour, LandryFootball.com, your source for all things football.
0: Anatomy of an ad.